And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Tuesday morning. I hope everyone voted. And with that out of the way, it's time to bounce around the East, and there's nowhere better to start bouncing, even though they lost last night to the Atlanta Hawks without Trey Young. With the 8-1 Milwaukee Bucks, my pick to win the title at the beginning of the season, I weirdly somehow feel less good about that pick, but I'm sticking by it, even though they were undefeated until last night, and there is no one, and I mean no one, in the sports media. Apologies to all the other people. Who knows the Milwaukee Bucks better than Eric Name of The Athletic? I'm thrilled to have him on. Eric, how are you, sir? I am great. Thanks for having me. Um, Let's just do the basics. Get them out of the way. The thing that should scare the entire league is that the Bucks are first in defense. And as you were, I think, the first person to point out in the preseason, doing something they've never done before, which is care about opponent three-point shooting. And holy smokes, are they caring about it? As a portion of opponent shot attempts, they've allowed the seventh fewest threes in the NBA. That was like 29th, 30th, just regularly teams are just chucking above the break threes, culminating in the crash and burn Grant Williams performance in game seven of last year. And you would think, Mr. Name, that maybe they've sacrificed something to limit opponent threes. And you would be wrong. They're still allowing the fourth fewest shots at the rim. They don't foul. They get every defensive rebound. All the old Bucks fundamentals are still there with this one new Bucks fundamental. So that's great. All good. Offensively, no Chris Middleton, their number one ball handler. We know that. No Pat Connaughton, who's super underrated and important to their team. 18th in offense. Looks a little icky sometimes. Yeah. And a shocking, and you're going to have to explain this one to me, shocking for a freight train team with a four steps to traverse the whole court superstar alien that we've never seen before 30th in a 30 team league in transition offense, which is their bread and butter. So Eric, after nine games, eight and one third best net rating in the league, 18th offense, first defense, two of their, I would say five to six best players are out. What's your temperature take big picture on the Bucks? I think the biggest thing is what you mentioned about the defense. I thought going into this year, this was this is something new that they were going to try. This is over the years. You know, I don't know how many times I asked Mike Boonholzer about how many three pointers he was giving up. And the answer was always, well, we don't want that, Eric. Let's be clear. We don't want that to happen. But you do have to make you have to make choices. You have to figure out what are the things that that you're willing to sacrifice. And they were always willing to sacrifice above the break threes to average to above average shooters. It was never going to be the other team's best shooters. They were always going to do a good job on those players. But if you were an average to maybe slightly above average shooter, you were going to get all the above the break threes that you wanted. It lit- literally an endless supply of them. The and entire it was a, night. It was a genius thing in some ways that when I close my eyes and think about it, the first, well, who, who's the first opposing shooter that comes to your mind when you close your eyes and think, disqualify Grant Williams since we mentioned him and it was a landmark game. When you close your eyes and think, oh my God, they're really doing this. Like when that realization hits you, who's the shooter you think of? Because I have one. Uh, Al Horford in Boston. I think at a game you and I watched together. Like it was the first, I think maybe the first time they lost under Budenholzer, or at least the first time they really got scared under Budenholzer. And it was Al Horford just shooting up a bunch of threes. I think the Celtics shot 44 threes that night. I think maybe like the eighth game of the Budenholzer era. And it was, oh, 
they're just giving that to Al Horford. And Bud knows Al Horford. He knows him very well. Uh, he knows exactly what he's capable of. And you just have, eh, okay, go for it. You want you want to win this game, Al? Go right ahead. It, it's all you. Who are you thinking of? Miles Turner. When they oh, just when they yeah. just let Miles Turner shoot every pick and pop three he wanted, and after missing like three in a row, and this was the this was the secret sauce of the scheme. He would catch the ball and think, should should I keep should I keep shooting? <laughs> I, am I am I just really going to take twelve threes again? I'm seven feet tall. Should I be taking this many threes? And that paralysis is what they were going for almost as much as anything else. So, and, I, and to be fair, the bet almost paid off in game seven against the Celtics. And they won the championship the year before. For sure. Should, should but, be said. but even last year when it was, oh my gosh, how do they keep doing this? It almost worked. Grant Williams passed up a bunch of looks. He was, he was like, I think he was like two for eight, something like that. And then, Ime Yudoka, to his credit, drew up a good play for him. Marcus Smart whipped him a pass, and it was, Grant, that's going up. This play is for you, 4-3. And then Grant Williams remembered, oh, yeah, I shoot 40% from the corners. I I should just go back to doing that. And then it was over. But they didn't have any other options. Without Chris Middleton, they didn't have enough offense. They didn't have enough size on the wing to actually, you know, switch everything. They had to play this gamble, and it almost paid off because of that exact paralysis that you're talking about. So what what do you think if that was a last ditch gamble for a shorthanded team almost punching above its weight, in my opinion, in that series going to seven? What after so many years of stubbornness of doing it the same way, what drove them um, to make this change? Because when you watch them and, and you and you see that their perimeter defenders are they don't even have a foot in the paint on the pick and roll. They got their feet outside the paint and you watch it unfold and you're like. Well, this is kind of the whole point of having Brooke Lopez and Giannis as drop back centers is that you, you this is how you should play. Why did they decide to get here this year? I'm I'm genuinely curious what happens last year if Brooke Lopez ends up being healthy for that entire season. It's a great because, point. because Brooke Lopez plays the first game. Let's be clear. And the Bucks destroyed the Nets on ring night. A night teams don't typically play all that well because they're celebrating, they're having a good time. They destroyed the Nets that night. And it was like, oh my gosh, I guess the Bucs are just going to keep this thing rolling. And then Brooke Lopez missed 60 games. And I just don't, I, there's a lot of things that the Bucs are doing differently. We can get to the offensive end and what they're doing on the offensive glass here in a little while. But like, there's a number of things that they're doing this year that I'm curious if it would have happened last year. If maybe they didn't start the season with the idea that, hey, we're going to start taking away more threes. But if, if they could, you know, 40 games in, be like, all right, enough is enough. We can do this. We can give this a try. I, I just think Brooke Lopez means so much. And, and, you know, I've heard Jeff Van Gundy on, on some of the ESPN broadcasts. And a lot of people talk about like, hey, Brooke Lopez is pretty good. I, I don't know why people don't realize this outside of Milwaukee. And then if you talk to any Bucks fans, they're like, this dude's incredible. We don't ever want him to leave. Sign him to whatever contract you need to because he should be here forever. And you talk to the most important player on the planet at the moment, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and all he tells you is, oh my gosh, Brooke makes my life so much easier. Um, he, he gets every, he doesn't get every rebound, which would maybe be a problem, but he boxes everybody out. He eats up three dudes on the glass and Giannis just swoops in for one-handed rebounds. And then as you mentioned about the transition attack, he's out on the run and he gets to do all the things that he's great at on defense. He doesn't have to be the rim, rim protector. He doesn't have to deal with five men. He can just be this 
roamer, free safety, whatever you want to call it, thing pterodactyl that we've never seen before. He gets to do all that because Brooke Lopez is there. And I'm really curious to see as the season goes along, it's going well right now, right? The the shot profile makes sense. They're forcing teams in the mid range. They're not giving up as many shots at the rim as you would have thought. I think rather than like first it's fourth or fifth. And then you go to the three point line and they're just not giving them up there. I'm really curious to see one, if they continue to get better at this, if they continue to, you know, fine tune it. Also, it's a pretty heavy load on Brooke Lopez. I do think that's another part of this is that there might have been some genuine concern about how far can we push Brooke? How much can we ask him to do? Because over and over again, when you watch games this year, I've been tweeted out like I keep thinking to myself, why do teams keep trying Brooke? You know what he can do. He's seven feet tall. He's 280 pounds. He's been blocking shots like this for all five seasons he's been with the Bucks. Why are you trying him? Well, but and, my, my, my alternatives are try Giannis, which seems horrible. Try Drew Holiday, which just seems like it's it seems like it's like getting mugged on the street or something. Yeah, no, it's just you. awful. Try Javon Carter. And I do think there's something to the fact that with Middleton out, they have started a total defensive specialist in, in the starting five. And we're going to get to that in a minute. There just aren't that great options. Yeah, but Brooke has been incredible. I, if they need to limit his minutes a little bit, like Ibaka just really hasn't looked great to me. I mean, he's playable, but that's that's about the best I can say. The Portis-Giannis combo has been consistently awesome for them at the four and the five. was critical during their title run. They can amp that up a little bit. But I look at this defense... I don't see any reason why this is unsustainable. They, they may be getting a, a little bit lucky with opponent shooting. I think they're allowing like the, the second best corner three percentage yeah. and a bottom 10 three point percentage, the second best mid range percentage. So the, the tons of mid range jumpers they're giving up on purpose or kind of on purpose are not going in. That'll change a little bit. Um, but I don't, I mean, Drew Giannis and Brooke Lopez are top 20 defenders in the NBA and Giannis may make a run at defensive player of the year. Although he learned last night, Eric name, you better box out on Yeka Kongu or else he is going to leapfrog you and dunk it on your face. And you could tell that Giannis was a little frustrated by that last night. I mean, Okongu is so good. I, I, I'm again, I'm talking about the Bucs. I'm not sure what the Hawks are doing. They should get him more minutes. He's really good. I, I really enjoy watching him play. And on the list of guys that make Giannis work, he's pretty high. He, he's he's really up there. So if the Hawks do have, you know, ideas about what they're going to do in the playoffs, you're going to have to go through Milwaukee. Having that guy on the floor for a whole lot and a whole long while is probably a good idea. But yeah, I mean, he was great. And honestly, with the Bucks defense, the thing that I think I keep coming back to about why teams try Brooke Lopez is when you used to get downhill on the Bucks, you could just hit the release valve, right? Because there was going to be overhelp from the corners. There's going to be overhelp from the other side. There's going to be four people in the middle of the lane and you got one dribble, you got one step. And it was like, oh, there's a wide open guy in the corner or, oh, there's a wide open guy on the wing. I'll just throw it there. I don't need to go try to climb Mount Lopez. Like I'm, I'm good. I'll just, I'll just make splash mountain, splash mountain, block mountain. I don't need to climb it. I'm good. I'm just going to pass it out there. And that pass isn't there this year because they're not helping in the ways that they use it. That pass is not there. So you get a step and you're like, um, I guess I got to keep going. Uh, I don't, I don't have any other options. I'm going to go And Brooke Lopez is still yeah, a, gi- tall, a gigantic, pounds. a gigantic person yeah. is in my way. I misspoke by the way. I read their offensive numbers, their defensive numbers though. the point, the point stands 
sixth best opponent three-point shooting, fifth best at the rim, seventh best mid-range. Those are so so seventh lowest. So whatever I misspoke before, it doesn't matter. It's very low across the board. It'll tick up a little bit. But I just think this is they've they've been an awesome defensive team for essentially all of Bud's tenure, other than last year they stepped back a little bit when Brooke was hurt. To me, that's locked in. It's solid. Whether they drop off a little bit here and there, they're going to be a good defensive team. Offensively, I don't, I don't, truthfully, I don't really care until Middleton comes back because he is the most important ball handler on their team. I am curious who starts when Connaughton comes back. I know that they were sort of unnerved by how punchless they were against Boston switching even without Middleton, and they wanted to sort of amp up the creativity a little bit, slip some screens, run some Spain pick and rolls with back screens and all this to make switching harder. Um, let me start, though. I haven't dug into the video. Why, how are they last in transition? What's going on? They must have a bunch of turnovers and missed open threes or something. like. What's going on there? That's that's that's, that's That would give me a reason for if they're just average, that takes them from 18th to like 11th in offense by itself. Yeah, I'd be really curious just overall what happens offensively when they stop shooting like garbage. Like they, they've just been bad from the three point line. And that's not something that hasn't happened 20, before. That, that was the 21st in threes that I mentioned right. before and second to last in corner three. So they are shooting horribly. And and once that comes up, I'd be curious if this offense just kind of automatically, even without Middleton, gets to like 12, maybe 10 in offensive rating and everything looks a little bit less bad. But yeah, I mean, transition. They've been overall, they've been sloppy with the ball. They just haven't been clean and they've missed a bunch of threes. And the Bucs, uh, you know, the thing I've always tried to tell people over the years is like the thing you got to watch out for the Bucs is three pointers between 15 on the clock and about 18 on the shot clock. They love getting those things up. And oftentimes, as you mentioned, that's a transition shot. And the league will, the stats will struggle to figure out if it's semi-transition or transition, but those are a lot of transition opportunities. Transition. With the Bucks, it's transition because you those know are- their bugaboo has always been our offense, our half-court offense can be ground down a little bit. Let's run. So whatever it is classified as, it's going to be live rebound, kick, run, right. shoot. So a lot of the times, you know, if that three-point percentage comes up, I-, I think they'll be better in transition. And overall offensively, you're right. They they were really kind of disappointed in what happened offensively when they saw those switches. They just didn't know really how to attack. And to be clear, Chris Middleton didn't play. Chris Middleton is very good in isolation. He's very good as a ball handler, pick and roll. He's very good in really taking advantage of all of those opportunities where you get a step or you get a slight mismatch. Uh, you know, I've been posting a too small gif for people that get matched up on Chris Middleton when he gets on the, you know, on the right side for forever. Like if he get if he catches the ball in the mid post, it's over. If you're not big enough, he's just going to score there. And the Bucks have based their offense around this idea since Drew Holiday's come come to town. In isolation, they have three guys that are great at. We always talk about the Nets and how good that team hypothetically could have been if they ever played and whatever their, their whole thing, but those three guys, <laughs> their whole thing, <laughs> the, the whole thing, but all those, of it, all of it, literally all of it. But those three guys, we always talked about, Oh man, they could be so great in isolation. When you look at drew holiday, Yonsta Takumo and Chris Middleton, you're looking at three of the, I believe when the trade was first made three of the top 15 or so players in isolation, that's what they're good at. So not having Middleton short circuited anything they might try to do, against switches, but you look at what they're doing this year. This is the most dribble handoffs of, of Mike Boonholzer offense has ever ran in 
in with the Bucks. I would have to look back in Atlanta. I would guess even in Atlanta, it wasn't as high as it is right now. So they're doing dribble handoffs more. Giannis is really focused on the screen, re-screen. I'm going to screen again. There, there's a sequence in the Philly game to start the season where he just did it three times. It, it was Tyrese Maxey, and he's like, all right, Tyrese, I'm going to get it. I'm going to screen you, and I missed you. Okay, I'm going to screen you again. I missed you. Okay, I'm going to screen you one more time. And by, and by the way, he doesn't get enough credit for completely buying all the way in to becoming a screen setter because this was a guy who, and he still has a little bit of this in him and it's probably good that he does. Well, Kevin Durant shoots jump shots and has a bag and LeBron has a bag and shoots jump shots. Like I got to be like that. And slowly, but surely he accepted reality. He accepted the coaching staff's wishes and went all the way into becoming like uh, he, he does a little bit of everything, but he does a lot of rim running or he's yeah. a rim running big man. And it's not, it, it is glamorous because he gets to dunk a lot, but, but he's gotten good at it. He's not just doing it to dunk. He's doing it because it's the best use of him for the team. It's he's doing it because the Middleton Giannis and drew Giannis pick and rolls are so good for them. Like he, he just doesn't, he, he doesn't get enough credit for that. Cause a lot of guys wouldn't have done that. I don't think. Honestly, I think in the organization, they were worried going into the championship season. I mean, you think about all the pressures of that year, right? Like, is the Supermax going to happen? All that. That summer, they lose in the bubble. There was legit concerns with people I talked to around the organization. Like, is Giannis going to buy into screening more? Is this something that he's willing to do? Because as you said, he's one of the best players on the planet. The best player on the planet doesn't set screens. He gets screens set for him. That's how this works. That's why I'm the best player on the planet. And, and he really did buy into it in that year. And he's gone out of his way to do it even better. And I was talking to Steven Silas at the start of the season. And he was like, Eric, he's not just he's not just willing to do it. He's good at it. Like he's gotten really good as a screener. Where I think he I think the player Steven Silas mentioned was Steven Adams. He's like, that's how hard of a screen. Giannis is to get around at this point. He's so good at flipping the angle. He's so good at his footwork that you're right, Zach. He has totally committed to it. And it's opened so much up for him offensively in ways where when he was just beating his head up against the wall, it just wasn't going to happen. So that has been a huge tweak and they're using it a lot more. Like you said, there's some Spain pick and roll. There's some double high pick and rolls going on this year. A lot of stuff that you don't typically see in a Boonholzer offense, they're literally trying to squeeze every single thing they can out of this offense. Um, you mentioned ISOs. They're ISOing much less this year, but that's probably because in part because Middleton is out. Yeah. Guess where they rank in points per possession on isolations on offense, according to second spectrum. They're not, uh, somewhere in the middle. 30th last. Oof. So that will come up as well um, with, with Chris coming back. Okay, here's a question for you. This is a deep cut bucks question, so I've got the best person for this. Sure. I'm gonna I'm okay. gonna give you a list of names, and you are gonna tell me who among them you trust to be at least 10 minute a game players in the playoffs. Jordan Nawara, George yeah. Hill. No, I mean, let me just read all the whole list, and okay. you can go. go Sorry. You just you instantly just rejected Jordan Awara. Poor guy. Can't play defense. He's shooting 32% from three. He's got a little juice to him, though. George Hill, who shoots almost as, as often as I do um, right now. Wes Matthews. Kind of interesting. They brought him off the bench to start the season. Serge Ibaka. Javon Carter. Joe Ingles. Man, as of today, 
the only one I can speak with any confidence is Wes Matthews. Like there's there's no way that I think I can can say any of those other players because I think the Bucks. You if you talk to people on the Bucks, oh my gosh, I don't know how many glowing anecdotes I've heard of Joe Ingles at this point. It, it's all anyone anyone with the team. That's all they want to talk about. Man, Ingles is gonna be great. He's gonna be awesome when he gets on the floor. And I've seen Joe Ingles play. He's a pick and roll maestro, forty percent three point shooter for much of his career. All that could be true. He was also bad before he got hurt last year. And you have to try to figure out like, okay, was that just the ecosystem in Utah and and everything was kind of toxic at that point that he just couldn't have a good season or was that the start of his decline? He's an older player and now he's come back from an ACL. Who knows what happened? So I can't, I can't with confidence say Joe Ingles, even though I think the entire organization believes that dude is going to be a dude for us in the playoffs. He's going to play a bunch of minutes. He's going to open up the offense because he can do all of those things off of second side actions. He can be the primary ball handler or pick and roll with Giannis. If we need to, he's going to be a problem. They believe that there's no way that any of us could believe that at this point, because how could we, we haven't seen him play Wesley Matthews. I think he works. He, he plays physical defense. I think you mentioned the idea that he's coming off the bench to start the season before the year. I asked Wes, I was like, Hey, I don't know how Bud is going to put together a rotation. I, I don't. I, I never will. Bud won't even tell me his starters until they are officially announced 30 minutes before a game. He's going to be secretive about it. But I would guess they're probably going to try to manage your minutes this year. I, I would just guess that that's what's going to happen. And Wes looked at me, and it was before the first preseason game. He's like, I'm ready. I'm ready tonight. And I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like, he started to cut like a WWE promo on me. Like, I love it. I love it. I, I think I'm ready to go. Every night, every single night. And I was like, all right, that's great. And the, I think the Bucks do believe that. So I, I do think Wes can give you 20 minutes again off the bench or starting however you want to do it. If if you have a big wing that you want to throw at him to annoy, he's really good at that. He, he's been good on Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. He, he can do that. So those are the two. Javon Carter is going to go through this problem, I think, all year long. Um, there's just times where he doesn't shoot the ball. And it's really hard to be... NBA playoff rotation player when you won't shoot. And, and, he's, and I, he's a good corner three-point shooter. He has been for the last three years. He's just like on this team, his whole job is play defense and shoot corner threes. That's it. And he should, like, I guess I just can't quit Javon Carter. He's so frisky. He's pressing people up and down the floor. He's tough. He's stronger than he looks. I can't quit him. He can shoot corner threes. Just shoot, man, and you'll be in the playoff rotation. That's all you got to do. I mean, that's really the big thing is, you know, there was a a start this season. I think the fourth and fifth game, he took three shots combined. One one shot, one game, two shots the next game. And I asked Bud in pregame, I was like, does, I know he's not out there for his offense, but does Javon need to shoot to play? And he was like, oh, yeah, we've talked to him about it. And Javon, to his credit, shot 12 times that night. All right. That's what that's all you need to do. Like you said, you just got to be a threat. Just shoot the threes when you're open. And then all of a sudden, just imagine being an opposing guard and you get 48 minutes of Drew Holiday, Wesley Matthews, Not a good and time. Javon Carter. You're having a bad time. That the, is, ice, the ice bath. You got to hit the ice bath. Whatever having, else you whatever else you got to hit. The ice bath and beer at the yeah. end of the game. <laughs> well, whatever you need to get through it, it's going to be a long series. And I do think that will help Javon play, but he has to keep shooting. So those are the three I'd feel comfortable with. The rest of the guys, yeah, you know, there's some guys getting up in age a little bit, trying to figure out how to still make an impact at the NBA level. I'm curious what George Hill can do 
across the whole season that he, that neck injury last year, they tried to rehab it this summer. It's I'm, been I'm out. I'm it's out. It's been good thus far, but I'm out. I'm, I dangerous. know. I know Bud will sign George Hill. George Hill will be 52 years old and Bud yeah, will be like, we got to sure. get him back. We got to get him back on a minimum guys, him, him and Thanasis untradeable. We got to get them both back. Um, I'm out. He just doesn't do anything. He's fine. Which is he like runs around on defense and gets yeah. through screens. Like it's, he's fine. He's a professional veteran. George Hill. He doesn't shoot. He's five of 20 on threes. I think as long as their core guys are healthy and that includes Connaughton, I think they have like just enough depth to do what I think they can do. I do know that they have, and I was the first to report this sniffed around Jay Crowder had interest in Jay Crowder. They have, I believe a 2029 first round pick. They can trade. They do. How, if, if they're cruising along at number one in the East and my God, are they cruising? They're just watching all these fires burning all around the Eastern conferences. Hey, we're, we're still over here. Nobody covers us. We pretend like we're offended that nobody covers us, but we actually like it. They do. Um, how how aggressively will they wield that stuff to try and get another piece in? Maybe, you know, they've never really found the next PJ Tucker. It hasn't hurt them that much, but the sort of bigger switchable three, four type that they kind of crave. That's why they were interested in Crowder, maybe are interested in Crowder. Uh, how how much do you think they're gonna they're gonna go that route? I think if not Jay- Crowder specifically, just like sure. just we're gonna be uh, ultra but- aggressive for something, another another guy. I'll speak to Jay Crowder to start. I think if Jay Crowder makes the trade request in January. I think it's a done deal. I think the Bucks have already made the trade. They've figured out what's going to work and they've gone out and they've done it. I think part of the problem is the Bucks know they have, <laughs> there's some stuff in the cupboard, but there ain't a lot. You're, you're reaching to the back of it. You're trying you know, to like find- a, it's like opening the freezer and be like, how long has this baking soda been in here? So can, can we, the, the package is kind of like disintegrating before right. your eyes. And there's like a, some frozen Brussels sprouts next to it. And it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't remember when those came in. <laughs> no, it, it, it's not empty. The cupboard is not empty. And to John Horse credit, he's always been good at this, right? He got Nikola Mirotic for four second rounders. And I think two of the second rounders are made up. I think top 55 protected or something like that. Like, What he, was Nikola Mirotic's best moment on the Milwaukee Bucks? What what was a Nikola Mirotic moment on the Milwaukee Bucks? Like one, the the night Bud decided to start Mirotic in Utah, he played a lineup of Middleton, Mirotic. I remember this. Bobby, oh, no, just wait. Gigantic. Who else? Gigantic. I don't even, I'm trying to think who had the, uh, the other center was, but it was five dudes, all six eight or taller. That was the most memorable moment, and I can't even remember it correctly, Zach. So He's, he, Mirotic is probably right now at this exact moment. If he's not playing, having a glass of wine on a beach somewhere in Barcelona and being like, man, the NBA sucked. I got punched. <laughs> I got my face got broken. I got traded a bunch of yeah. times. I was like, some of the places were cold. Food wasn't as good as it is here. Like, I'm living life. Look at this. This is great. Yeah. So I, I John Horse will always be aggressive. He's shown again and again and again. He is going to make a move at the deadline. I, I think. Crowder is going to be interesting. I just don't know if Crowder lasts all the way until then, because I think within the organization and, you know, kind of what they're thinking about is one shot, one shot that we have, we have a Grayson Allen. uh, We have a George Hill to get us into the 2 million range. Uh, You know, if Joe Ingles comes back and doesn't work out, 
add six more, you get into the 18 to $20 million range. We got picks. We got 2029 if we really need to do this. And that's that's it. There's one shot. You got one shot to take. And, and I do think with the hope that they have for Joe Ingles, I think there might have been some concern around the team. Like, all right, so if we trade for Jay Crowder, like, is he going to play? Like, is is he playing in that small ball lineup that we, well, or that's we the want thing. Ingles in? That's the and, thing with when Connaughton comes back and Ingles comes back. We haven't seen hardly any of Giannis at center this year. And maybe we shouldn't. If Portis and Lopez are two of your top six yeah. guys, maybe we just shouldn't. We also haven't seen any much of the triple big lineup with all three of them. But when they get all their wings back, they have more ammo to go Giannis at center. If if someone's in foul trouble, if that's just the way the game is flowing. Um, and, and maybe and you maybe, to your, maybe to your point, they don't need another guy if those two guys come back. And you mentioned it earlier, right? Like, I know the... The PJ Tucker memories are awesome, right? Like that dude had unbelievable sound clips. He is just super fun. PJ Tucker is just fun. Pat Connaughton was their small ball option. Like that that was the lineup they used. It, it was it was rarely PJ. It was a lot more about Pat and what he was able to do as a three-point shooter. And I do think you if you're trading for a guy like Jay Crowder or that other wing, I think you're gonna wonder to yourself, do we actually need that? And Right now, speaking to you on November 8th, I don't think they think they need that. Maybe Joe Ingles comes back around Christmas and it doesn't work out. And then you're like, all right, let's go find that big wing. Let's do it. Right now, I don't know that they think they need it. I do think they'll be aggressive. John Horst is always trying to, if you have 15% championship odds, turn it to 16. Even if it's 15 and a half, he'll try to make that move. He's always aggressive. He's always done that really throughout his career. But I don't think they're willing to take that shot just quite yet. And, and, and we'll see. Maybe more play. Victor Weminiana is unbelievable, Zach. I, I watch Giannis on a nightly basis, and I don't know that I've ever seen anything like Victor Weminiana. Like, there's going to be teams that are trying to find their way down to the lottery. Maybe some magical wing. I, I don't know who it'll even be. Maybe some magical wing comes available, and then that's the guy that the Bucks go after. But right now, I just don't think they feel like they need it. You're right. There are going to be more teams, whether it's like a Charlotte or other teams that decide, okay, let's just, let's just do it. I'll, I'll wrap by saying this. I picked them to win the title because I thought their defense was going to be awesome. And most importantly, I just, I said over and over again, I think Giannis is coming for everybody's throat this year. I, I think he's, I think he's pissed at what happened last year. I think the whole team is pissed. He's the best player. He gets better and better every year. And you see it already this year. He's faster with the ball. He's more creative. He has more moves, drop steps, you, you know, all sorts of spins and stuff under the rim that he just gets better at. His passing gets better. Nothing. Uh, the offense, it'll, it, it'll be, I think, good enough when they all get back, when Middleton comes back. I, I still would, I still feel pretty good about them as my title pick. Obviously, anything can change, but but they they look pretty legit and they're just going to keep, keep cruising along. You know, the, I think they're just going to keep winning a ton of games and fly under the radar and be the Bucks. Yeah. And I will admit, I feel, I often feel bad when I, when I talk to other people about the Bucks because Giannis is so good at this point that we just like, don't really talk about it. It's just a given, right? Like you have the base of this team is Giannis being awesome. And then that leads to me spending time talking to you about their rotation players in eight through 12 on the rotation, instead of being like, Hey everyone, Giannis is unbelievable. You should watch it as much as yeah, possible. They have because they have the best guy. 
because he's absolutely preposterous. You know, there was a game earlier this year. I think it's 43 against the Rockets, maybe 44. Um, I, he didn't have a dunk. And as you know, that is Mr. Run and Dunk right there, Giannis Dedekumbo. And the and it's not and I'm not trying to tell people he's shooting threes now or, you know, he's a great mid range shooter. I'm not trying to tell you that the creativity that he has around the rim is absurd at this point. In that Rockets game, he had a scoop shot right, jumped off his right foot, finished it with his right hand on the left side of the basket. He flipped it up and in from about six feet, a total scoop shot. If Kyrie Irving made that move, we'd all lose our minds. Oh my God, this guy's the most unbelievable rim finish we've ever seen. Giannis is seven feet tall, 245 pounds, and that's in his bag. He's got got wrong foot, wrong side, wrong hand, scoop shot layup. He he can just do that. And if you just watch him on a night in night out basis, the floaters are more real than they've ever been. The spin move is somehow sneakier than it's a hit through even tighter gaps. It's, it's honestly, we get to a point where I feel bad that it took me this long to, to gush in this way about him because he is just that incredible that you do. I think end up taking it for granted at times. Eric name, you just do incredible work for the athletic. It's a pleasure to talk to you about the fight Milwaukee bucks. Just let, let's get the offense a little cleaner, a, a little crisper, and, uh, and 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 head into the playoffs. Because look, the East is no picnic. They're gonna have they're gonna have some they're gonna have multiple tough playoff rounds just to have a shot to get out of the East. You'll be there to chronicle it all. You can read all of Eric's stuff at the Athletic. Uh, thank you for making a little time, my friend. Absolutely, thanks for having me. You can now stream the most MLB games on Directv without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing. On your roof. So, who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill seeking raccoons, watch out for them, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1 800 DirecTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. All right, there's a couple other Eastern Conference teams that I haven't really spent too much time on that I wanted to hit on today, and we have an Eastern Conference specialist here at ESPN. He's all dressed up. Look at him. He's got the seaport in the background there. That's on right. TV, on the TV screen, it's a TV seaport. Tim Bontemps, how are you? I'm doing well, Zach. I, I told a friend who loves to listen to the pod that I was coming on today to talk about the East, and they said... Uh, I'm glad you're coming on and talk about the East because I'm tired of hearing how great the Western Conference is because it's not actually that good. 
this year. Just going and, right in with the East versus West ammo. Just well, starting right off. I, I, what I think is funny is for the first time, for the first time, probably in 20 years, maybe longer, maybe since the 90s, you can probably credibly argue that the East is deeper, pretty far down than the West. And I, I think it's just a sign of how finally things have shifted back in this direction where, I mean, we're going to talk about a few teams today that are not exactly at the top of the conference and they're still really interesting. It's yeah, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about three teams that in the aggregate I think are are playing well, but they're they're there's always teams we get to 10, 12, 15 games in and no matter how many times I've watched them I'm like I still kind of don't like what's I don't know how to feel about this team and we're going to go in order of confusion from least confusing to most confusing. We're going to hit three teams. We're going to hit the level of, your level of confusion. Yeah, it's just my it's my podcast, my level yeah, of I confusion. I I got it. I got it. Yeah. Uh, it works. Um we were going to talk about the Raptors and how they're going to respond with Siakam out. Siakam just having a crazy good year, but we, we can save the Raptors, I think, for another day. They got smoked in you're Chicago gonna, last you're night. You're going to offend all of Canada now. It's all right. They all think just, they, they all just going to ignore the, that they had a big win over the Bulls on Sunday to say they got blown out on Monday. And we're just not going to talk about them. It's me, a notorious Raptors <laughs> hater. That's uh, right. Let's, you and me let's, both. Let's start with the defending champion or defending Eastern Conference champion, Boston Celtics. That's right. A seven and seven and three beat the Grizzlies on the road last night. That's a quality win. Anytime you win in Memphis, that's a good win. Mm-hmm. The confusing part is is the split. First in offense, 23rd in defense after having not only a great defense last year, a historically dominant defense, obviously the most important, arguably pillar of that defense, at the very least, the tallest and most shot blocky. Robert Time Lord Williams is out. Um, and you know, seven and three is good. They're not blowing the doors off people. Their net rating is seventh in the NBA. That's good, not great. Joe Missoula taking over under strange circumstances at the very last minute. So my here's here's my takeaway from watching the team early. Yep. The defensive numbers I don't bother me. I don't really care. They haven't been as airtight as I would have hoped, even with their best players on the floor. They're actually minus four per 100 possessions with Tatum and Brown on the floor together. They're winning the solo minutes for each of them by quite a bit. Just like weird, not Celtics-y mistakes, communication mistakes, two guys chasing one guy on a screening action, switches that are too late, too soft, just stuff you wouldn't associate with them. Um, I just think that's all some combination of malaise, scheme confusion with the guy that they built their entire scheme in part around last year being out. He'll be back at some point. I, it sounds like every time they give an update, it's later and later. Well, he um, just real quick. He, I actually talked to him on Saturday before they played the Knicks and he's back on the court. He's dunking. He's doing some running on the court. There is some real progression towards him playing. So at, at least from a Celtic standpoint, obviously if you get him back sooner rather than later, that would be a very good thing for their defense. And and I think when it will be interesting to see when they get him back, because I do think Joe Missoula was a, a part of the discussions, a big part of them that led to them going to that scheme last no year where they, where they put Robert Williams off the ball and switched everything on the ball. And he just got to lurk on the back line as this roving, terrifying shop lark. I think we'll see much more of that when he comes back. So my takeaway is I think the defense will be there. The personnel is just too good, even if mm-hmm. they haven't looked quite as good. So far this year, they're dead last in forcing turnovers. That's weird. I, I don't really know what's going on there. I would be more encouraged by how the offense looks than discouraged by how the defense looks, because, of course, it was the offense that was their undoing. 
in the finals and almost in the conference finals and almost in the second round of the playoffs, both seven game series for them to be first in offense with just a, an unbelievable number and look the way they do taking tons of threes, very few mid rangers taking care of the ball, which was again, one of their big bugaboos. I would be more encouraged by that than discouraged by the defense, but where do you net out on all this? Cause again, they've, they've been a team, you watch them and it's, you know, they're missing a big piece and you know, they have a new coach. Some two overtime losses to Cleveland been kind of a weird start, but seven and three is still seven and three. I, I mean, look, I, I think they've generally played a fairly difficult schedule, right? They've already got games against, uh, you know, Miami's obviously struggling, but they played Miami, they played Philly, they've played uh, Cleveland, um, they played Cleveland twice, actually. They played Memphis. Like, that's a pretty tough stretch through 10 games. And, and I think to your point, I'm not really concerned about them at all because if you look at who they're rolling out there at the other big spot, I mean, Luke Cornett has been pretty good when he's been out there, but he's had limited minutes and um, he just had his kid. So uh, he's been away. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm not going to tolerate. I'm not going to tolerate any Luke Cornett, even even implied slander. Tim no, Bonsen. No, no slander at all. He's been their best. He's been their second best big pretty okay. clearly. But that's just, my that's my point is there's been a lot of Blake. You know, Blake Griffin's played 50 minutes. He's been a disaster when he's been out there. Um, he cannot play at this point. And I mean, Noah Vonley's given them some decent minutes, but you know, if you replace the combination of Luke Cornett, Noah Vonley, and Blake Griffin, most particularly Blake, with 30 minutes a game of Robert Williams, this team goes from being a bit of a suspect defensive team to a terrifying defensive team. And also, we're early enough in the season, you know, the Lakers were, I think, fifth in defense before they played Utah and they dropped the 12th or 13th in a game. It, it only takes a couple games for things to change pretty dramatically. And this, you know, the Celtics got drilled by Chicago one game. So their, their numbers are a little a wonky compared to where they would be, but I I'm with you. I think the most interesting thing and most important thing is that Malcolm Brogdon has fit in perfectly as the six man off the bench who can provide them the kind of downhill attacking um, creative option. They didn't have, as you mentioned, particularly in the NBA finals, everybody focused on what Steph did in that series. It was really that their offense just couldn't generate anything in that series against Golden State, and that's why they lost. It wasn't that Steph was going crazy at the other end of the court. Golden State didn't score that many points, but the Celtics just couldn't get anything going. So Malcolm Brogdon's been really good, and offensively, they've looked great. Grant Williams is hitting a ton of threes. Tatum has taken another step forward. Jalen Brown looks great. So offensively, I think they look really good. If Robert Williams is healthy, they've got a chance to win the championship. If he's not, they don't. So like to me, it's really just that simple. If they keep Al Horford healthy, Robert Williams is ready to go. Their guys are ready to go in the playoffs. They're probably, to me, the best or second best team in the league. And a lot of their season just is going to, you know, pretty much ride on how his knee, how Robert Williams' knee comes back. So that's why I'm not really confused about him at all. I think they've been pretty good and sort of right where I would have expected them to be. Yeah, Brogdon uh, has been great, exactly what they needed. They're plus eight per 100 possessions with him on the floor, which is which is interesting because the lineup that I think a lot of us were most excited about the non-Time Lord lineup anyway is Brogdon, Smart, Tatum, Brown, Horford. That lineup's been awful. Minus 28 and 29 minutes. That's 29 minutes is nothing. It, right. But that that's not off to a scorching start. And yet Brogdon is still that productive. In fact, everybody for them has a pretty good plus minus in their in their core group, except Marcus Smart. And right. part of that is he's shooting 20-something percent from three. I think maybe 30 percent. It's whatever it is, it's bad. I had it in front of me and now I lost it. Defensively, he hasn't looked quite the same to me. Um, but you know, again, like if you look at their defensive numbers, they're allowing the six fewest threes 
the third fewest shots at the rim and the most mid-range shots in the league. Right. That's why I'm not worried about their defense. Their their defense is fine. 10th in free throw rate allowed. That's good. 10th in defensive rebounding. That's good. I mentioned the turnovers, which is strange. If they're just getting people, teams are shooting the lights out against them from three and on mid-range jumpers. So they're getting a little bit unlucky. I think their defense is totally fine. The smart thing is interesting. Um, and and just how they're going to choose to parse out their lineups, like the Grant Williams Al Horford four five combination, is a really good combination. Grant Williams is doing stuff off the dribble that we've never seen him do before. He's yep. super switchable on defense. Which perimeter guy do you sit of your core guys? Probably Brogdon and White both together, and you start the big three with those three. That's a good lineup. Um, it, I just but but I I think the most important trend is their offense, and just sort of like what what are I, I mean we all know Tatum is playing out of his mind. I mean, Tatum is here. Are the numbers 31, seven and four, a, a block and a half a game, a steal a game shooting. Well, you the know ball what, Well, you know what the most important number is? 8.3 free throw attempts per game. That's point- that's the most important number. He's gotten much better at attacking. He's not settling as much. He's getting to the line a lot more. That was the thing that was always going to separate him from being a scoring champion and just a you know, really good elite score in the league. If he starts averaging eight, nine free throws attempts a game, he'll lead the league at scoring might this year. Like that, that's always been sort of the one last thing from that part of his game specifically. And he seems like he's gotten that down this year. And, too. and he's just doing everything, the rebounding, the defense, the big defensive plays, the contested yep. rebounds. When they gang rebound, Boston is an inconsistent gang rebounding team, but when their big wings make a concerted effort to come back, and just at least get inside that foul line area to like get the just in case rebounds, yep. just in case it bounces here. And they start reaching over big guys because they're so long and they're so athletic. They become, instead of an average rebounding team, a really good rebounding team. And when they get rebounds and they get out and run, they have enough shooting and enough creativity that they're really good. And I just like, I like the way they played starting from the very first game of the season. Who they play Philly? I think Philly, right? They opened with Philly. Played Philadelphia, yep. And then they played Miami in the second game. They they had a play where they posted up Marcus Smart on somebody small, probably Maxi. And I like when they post up Smart against little guys. He's not a bad post up player. It's not it's not something you want to do ten times a game. But if you're if you're just kind of searching for something, want to change it up, and he's got a good matchup, like throw it to him. Same with Grant Williams. Throw it. He's to a him. very Marcus is a really underrated passer. Um, he, he's probably the best passer on the team. And uh, like you said, you get him posted up like that. He can dime guys up for um, for shots of the perimeter, especially when they've got, you know, if they've got a Grant, Al, Jason, Jalen lineup around him, if he's in the post, that's, you know, pretty much somebody's going to get left open if they come to help. And then there's an open shot for three. So they fed him the ball and they ran that Warriors action that the Warriors have just killed teams on for 10 years now where they had a big guy and Tatum up near near each other at the top of the arc, one pass away from smart. And the big guy's defender went down to kind of help on Smart's post up. And so the big guy with nobody on him set a screen for Tatum. Tatum runs around the screen. Nobody's there because the screen hits. He shoots a three. It missed. But it was like, that's the kind of stuff they need to do more. I think they realized last year that when they run any cooperative action involving Tatum and Brown, split cuts, again, warrior style stuff off the ball, they get good stuff. Any screening action with Smart as the ball handler or the screener, because he's going to have the littlest guy on him. And if you switch your toast, that they get somewhere. And I think they've leaned in to all of that stuff. And that that's all that's all a good sign for me offensively. And defensively, I think they're going to be there. We mentioned Smart. 
Horford, Look, they just, have the best. They have the best offense in the league, and Smart's taking almost six threes a game and shooting twenty eight percent, and Jalen's taking seven and a half threes a game and shooting thirty three percent, and they're both probably going to go up five or six percentage points as the season goes along. So, like their their offense is is pretty damn good. Yeah, Jalen has been after a scorching hot start, just good, and everyone's kind of waiting for him to make the leap from fringes of the all NBA conversation to thick of the all NBA conversation. And it looked like this was going to be the year he would do that. And 25, seven and three. Good. Three assists are just kind of sitting there. It doesn't, doesn't look like that's going to move up much. Everyone always isolates these plays where it's like, Oh, look at the work he did on his handle. His handles tighter this year. His handle size visions tighter. Like, yeah, maybe. And then you look at the numbers like, oh, 28 assists and 32 turnovers, a one to one ratio, actually a sub one to one ratio, 45 percent shooting, 34 percent on threes, 52 percent on twos. Maybe this is just who he is, like just the 20th best player to 28. I was going to say I was going to I was going to say that's a pretty really good player. I was going to say it's a pretty damn good player. No, I look, he's going to get a max. He's an awesome player. I just he always seems to be on the verge of the putting it all together. Remember like three seasons ago, Tatum had the month. It was like November, December, where right before the pandemic, I think, where it was like, oh, my God. Yeah, it was January. It was January 2020. He really he played great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Jason Tatum is here. Everyone keeps waiting for that with Jalen. It hasn't happened. Horford. What a weird year for Horford. All of a sudden, 60% of his shots are threes. That, that's been, we know he's been evolving that way, but it's been like 35 or 40%. He has four free throws the entire year. And yet they're fine offensively. I, I still think I, I, the East still to me runs through Boston and Milwaukee and, and their head and shoulders, but everything else. Yeah, I, yeah the- I agree. I agree completely. And the thing that people need to remember the Celtics were. I, I can't describe how good the Celtics were um, before Robert Williams hurt his knee in March. Like those two months from late January to late March, I would go to these games and they would just win every game by 25 points. It didn't matter who they were playing. They were obliterating people. And even yeah. in the playoffs, they never were quite the same team mm-hmm. when Robert came back. Like he just didn't quite have the same bounce. And you saw it like there were games when his knee would feel good and they would wreck teams even in the playoffs. And then there were games where his knee didn't feel great and they would look pretty sloppy and and they would start to you know throw the ball around and lose. And your point about Jalen and his handles is an important one. The Celtics are still a team as they were in the playoffs. If they don't turn the ball over, they're practically unbeatable. If and they start fourth, throwing the ball they're right. fourth right now in turnover rate. I mean fourth. Right. If that if that settles in at like eleventh, that's a right. huge W for them. It's a huge it's a huge thing. And look, they're seven and three without Robert playing and with two losses to the Cavs in overtime games that you know, you are, they are easily could have won both games and they're sitting at nine and one. And one of them, Karis Levert and Donovan Mitchell, were just like making these insane step back threes yes. over and over and over again. Karis Levert has a game every year where he scores 40 plus against the Celtics. That was his at the garden too. And that was his game, uh, you know, a couple Fridays ago. So look, I, I think they're going to be fine. Robert Williams looks great. I, I shouldn't say looks great. If he comes back and is healthy and looks good. It's going to be them in Milwaukee, and I think they're the two best teams. Forget the East. I think they're the two best teams in the league if he comes back and is healthy. It's amazing that a month ago, Udoka crisis, Robert Williams, oh my God, he's going to be out for how long? Gallinari's out for the season. Oh, by the way, we should say one thing. I, I'm i not trying to say it's a good thing. It's, it's, I, wouldn't, I probably shouldn't say it's a good thing Gallinari got hurt because it's not, obviously. But him getting hurt, guaranteed a rotation spot for Sam Hauser, who is a good player. It's good. 
and is a great three-point shooter and might frankly just be a better fit for the Celtics to play than a mid-30s Danilo Gallinari. So I'm not trying to say Gallo getting hurt is good. It's not. But Sam Hauser playing, he is a good, solid rotation piece. And you talk about their offense. when he's Whenever he's on the court and he gets going like he did against the Knicks the other night, I mean, it, you just expect him to make every single shot. And it's been a really good weapon for them to have off the bench. Yeah, my my point was it was like, oh, my God. Right. Off-season crisis. Look at the two finalists from last year. One team had a post a practice. wasn't even a brawl. It was a practice assault and practice punch. The other team's in crisis. The Udoka thing, it appears the players are fine. I mean, they've expressed some confusion. When the Brooklyn reports surfaced a week ago, they expressed even more confusion. It, it doesn't appear to be affecting their play, the locker room, the culture. They really, they really like Joe Missoula. Miz- like even last, Joe's a, even Joe's a really good coach, and he has really a great good. relationship with the players, and he has a very, very close relationship with the most important player on the team, Jason Tatum. That's right. Uh, even um, even during last year's playoffs, like because Joe Missoula is from Rhode Island, so especially during the finals and late in the playoffs, there was a lot of like, you know, talk about Joe Missoula questions. Uh, you know, because there were a bunch of TV features down there about like, hey, the local kids coaching the Celtics in the finals. Jason Tatum's multiple times talked about him for two, three minutes extemporaneously at, at finals practices and conference finals practices. Like, obviously you hear people talk about assistant coaches sometimes, and I know it was a coincidental thing that he's from Rhode Island, but like these guys really like Joe a lot. And I think you've seen through these first 10 games or so, he reminds me a lot of Brad Stevens and his demeanor and how he approaches things and how he's just very level-headed and calm all the time. And given the craziness that went on with this team over the couple months before or the month before the season started, I think it's been very good to have a guy with that kind of presence to sort of help stabilize things. And the other thing, too, is these guys have just been through a lot. Like the Celtics, these guys aren't old, the Celtics players, but like there was all the chaos with the Kyrie teams at the beginning of their careers. Then they, they make the conference finals in the bubble. Then they have the, the terrible year after that when they finished seventh and get routed by the nets and it seems like things are going sideways. And then you have last year, like they've just been through a lot of stuff. And I, I think these guys I, sort of aren't phased anymore because they've, they've just been through so many things um, in their NBA careers, even though, you know, Tatum's in his sixth or fifth season and Jalen's in his fifth or sixth or seventh season. Like, you know, Marcus, I think is in his eighth season. Like these guys haven't been around for that long, but in basketball lifetime, you know, ages, they've been around forever and they've seen just about everything. And I, I think that's helped a lot too. What Missoula and Hardy, Will Hardy are doing at age 34. The Jazz are one of the most remarkable stories, we're period. Not, I know we're not talking about the West, but it's this team not being nine and three and leading the West is incredible. What they're doing at age 34 and Missoula ascending to this job in the manner and speed with which he did when I was 34, <laughs> I mean, I was like running to the bodega in my pajamas to get lunch that day. And You're like not doing that now. <laughs> no. Um, and and afraid to uh, just, uh, like if you had told me I was going to have a podcast and do this stuff would have been. Well, that sounds so scary. He just stepped right in and was like, yeah, I'm 34. I've been I've been preparing for this my whole life. Both of them did. And the, the circumstances under Missoula, though, the expectations and the circumstances for him to just step right in at his age is crazy for me. And the last Boston thought is like every broadcast now, they point out the gum chewing, the Joe Missoula right. gum chewing. 
it's time to take it to the next level. We need to know what kind of gum, how much of it, who's buying it for him. Is he buying it himself? Does he have a gum guy like the Seinfeld episode where sounds Lloyd like it sounds like a 10 sounds like a 10 things topic to me where, where Lloyd Braun had the gum guy in Chinatown <laughs> and got Jerry, Jerry, a hundred crates of the gum. I, I need to know the answers to that question. For the ones who get it done. Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's go to my second team, the Atlanta Hawks, who ended the Bucks' undefeated season last night and did so without Trey Young. They, too, are 7-3. and three. Their last two wins are against New Orleans and Milwaukee, both impressive wins at home. Before that, they had maybe the easiest schedule in the entire league and yes. were 5-3, and three, and it was like, eh, what are they, 5-3? and three. Now they're 7-3. and three. It looks better. They are 12th in offense, 11th in defense. So that's kind of like meh and meh. Just kind of a, like, okay, good, fine. 7-3, fine. 12th, 11th, that's good. Um, they are plus 13 per 100 possessions with both of their all-star guards on the floor, Trey Young and new acquisition DeJounte Murray. That's a great sign when your best lineups are working. That's great. They have not had Bogdan Bogdanovich for one second this year. A.J. Griffin is starting to do a lot of stuff off the bench for them. The last two games had a monster game last night against the Bucks. That's interesting. That's interesting. More wing depth, more small ball options. Those are always good. Jalen Johnson is kind of starting to do a little bit of something, particularly on defense and on the glass and in the hustle categories. That's interesting. All of those things are good. Um, the I don't want to say the red flag, but the interesting thing is they're 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 offensively again they're twelfth, twenty ninth in free throws, and they're fouling a ton on defense. They're spotting the other team a bunch of points on the free yes. throw line. 29th in free throws, first in turnovers. That's a Trey Young thing. Take care of the ball, except against Miami in the playoffs. Um, you look at their shot selection, 29th in three-point attempts is a percentage of shot attempts, 21st in shots at the rim, first in mid-range shots. And if you just did their effective field goal percentage based on the location of all their shots, they're last. They're 30th. Obviously, they're out shooting that because they have good shooters. Trey's threes are down. DeJounte's threes are up, but his shots at the rim are down. DeAndre Hunter still doesn't take enough threes. John Collins has just kind of weirdly become a low usage, loss in the shuffle kind of player for this team. He's been the biggest sort of collateral damage of Murray coming aboard. Mm -hmm. And 11th in defense, I guess, feels feels right. Um, they, they might be getting a, a little bit lucky, like opponents have shot really poorly from three and actually really poorly at the rim. So they're probably getting a little bit lucky. 
even after these two wins, I'm and then you look at their defense. So I mentioned they foul a lot. 21st in forcing turnovers, 28th in defensive rebounding. The shot selection stuff I mentioned, uh, opponent shot selection. It's like, how are they 11th? What are they good at? I'm confused. How good is this team? That's a good question, and I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think you know. Look, they they beat a you know they they did get the Milwaukee win. They got Great the win. they got the New Orleans win. Um, but they did have an incredibly easy schedule to start. And look, I think it's I think it's expected that there's going to be some growing pains adding a guy like Dejounte Murray. Um, you know, Trey is shooting a little more. I think he's up from you know he's up I think a little bit in terms of catch and shoot threes. So he's playing a little more off the ball. That's a yep. good thing. Um, but I do, you know, I, I do wonder, you know, Clint Capella's had a bit of a slow start to the year. I do wonder if he's starting to lose a bit of a step. And you mentioned John Collins, you know, John Collins on a team where you've got two high usage guards who are going to be having the ball a lot and scoring. I just don't know how useful he is as a third or fourth option on offense, right? If that's like mainly what he's going to be for you. I don't know if that is the best fit for what these guys are doing, which is partly why John Collins name has come up in a bunch of trade stuff over the past couple of years that he is kind of an awkward fit, but I also don't know necessarily who's going out to try to get a guy like John Collins in a trade either. He's sort of an archetype that we don't see in the NBA these days. You so, watch Hawks games right now. And this is a guy who's averaged 20 a game in the league. who has mm-hmm. been a 40% three point shooter who can dunk you into oblivion. If you don't pay attention and you watch the Hawks right now, you can go an entire game and be like, wait, did John Collins play in the game? Like he didn't do it. He did nothing that I remember. He's averaging 13 points a game. It's his lowest yeah. number since he was a rookie. He has the usage rate of like Danny Green. It's just, yeah. I understand why you outlined all the reasons why. Like DeAndre Hunter's even trying to take a take a larger load and, and the, the Hawks are giving it to him. And it's just it's just interesting because he's not going to be a good enough defensive player to sort of recalibrate. Okay, I'm going to become a dirty work guy, even though like when they made the conference finals, that's what he did. He doubled down on rebounding and defense and he was good enough at it to impact the game that way. I'd love to see that again. But yeah, he just feels he just feels almost a little um, forgotten. And that is interesting. Can I read you a Trey Young stat? Yes. So the catch and shoot thing you mentioned. Is is something to monitor. All year, because obviously you don't you don't want to like evenly split ball handling between Trey Young and DeJounte Murray because Trey Young's just better. You just they had the number two offense in the league last year That's with right. their whole offense being just Trey Young do stuff. But he does have to accommodate DeJounte Murray a little bit because although DeJounte is shooting 39% himself on catch and shoot threes, which is great because teams are going to give him that shot around Trey Young. He's not as good of a shooter, not as good of a floor spacer. So here's the stat. For his career, Trey Young has has about seven off-ball screens a game that he's used as the guy running off off-ball screens. Six, seven. It's up to 11 this year. That's good. Not high enough. You Like, for perspective, someone like J.J. Redick or Clay Thompson will be at, like, 45 or 40 right. per 100%. We're not asking Trey Young to get there. Ideally, he gets to 20. I was going to say, that number's got to be, like, 18. Here are the numbers. When he shoots out of an action like that, or passes to a teammate who shoots 1.18 points per possession that would have ranked top 20 last year among 300 guys who used at least like 50 screens or some minimal number. You zoom out, include the whole possession. 
1.27 points per possession. That would have been like number one in the entire league. They need yeah. to do more of this. It doesn't have to get complicated. All it has to be is like a second side pick and roll where he runs off the screen, catches, goes, and they do it out of timeouts. You can tell they want him to do it because this is always the thing to watch with teams. It was the thing to watch with this, the first Heat team with LeBron and Wade and Bosh. Watch what they run out of timeouts. That's right. Because that will tell you what the coach wants and what is probably optimal. And watch how that action or if that action fades as the game goes from timeout to in the flow of the game. And that's what's happening with the Hawks right now. Every out of timeout play is Trey Young running something, running off something, and then it disappears in the game. They need to do it more. And I just think regardless, this team's going to have a really good offense. And if they get anything out of the Griffin, Justin Holiday, Aaron Holiday, Bogdanovich comes back. Well, that's going to say a- he, he hasn't even played yet. Yeah. Bogdanovich. They're, they're going to have enough ammo. And what the Griffin kid is doing, he's big and strong. He comes off screens in the mid-range area and makes floaters. He's a good shooter. Like that, that he he is already, I think, vaulted ahead of Jalen Johnson, maybe in their in their rotation chart, even though Jalen Johnson fills a more pressing kind of positional need. I think their offense is going to be fine. Defensively, DeJounte Murray has come in and and done what they expected, which is He's getting it feels like he's getting nine steals every game and getting them out in transition. And this team didn't force any turnovers last night. Eleventh. okay. I like I said, they're allowing a lot of threes, not a lot of shots at the rim. That's good, but teams are shooting well from everywhere. That'll that'll regress. I, I guess they're good. I guess they're fine. I it's it's hard for me to know. I think they're gonna be a good team. I, I just 10 games in, I'm like, I don't I, I just don't have a feel for it that much. Well, it's a lot of pieces that sort of interestingly fit together, right? Like AJ AJ Griffin basically hasn't played this year until Monday when Trey Young was out against the the Bucks, and then he played 31 minutes. He went 10 for 15 from the field. He hit it like he played great, gave them a huge boost. You know, the bench, him and Jalen Johnson and Wanyeka Congo were the reason that they won that game. They really took over in the second half and played great. So oh, a Congo just dunking all over Giannis. Well, he's, head I know two times. he's and and you know remember a couple of years ago when they played in the conference finals, he was the best guy on the team at guarding Giannis. Like he he's a really interesting player too. So they've got a lot of interesting pieces. Bogdanovich hasn't played yet. You know, one thing I do think is a problem. Like last night, they took 17 free throws without Trey playing on the season. They're averaging 20 a game and Trey has nine attempts a game. Like they just don't put a lot of pressure on the rim. It's a lot of jump shooting. 29th in free throws in free throw rate after being like borderline top 10 the last two years. And obviously Trey by himself was a free throw machine that took a hit with the, we're not going to give you the call every time you stick your butt out and someone falls into you. We're not going to give you that every time, but still Trey's averaging Trey's averaging nine a game. It's not like Trey's averaging five. Like he's no one else is doing it. Nobody else is over. Nobody else is over three. So uh, you know, they are a bit of a tricky team. They feel like they're a team that's destined to make another deal, right? They've got a bunch of interesting, you know, John Collins, Bogdanovich, Clint Capella. They've got all these young guys that are kind of interesting. They're sort of positioned to make another deal to then have a three guys, a setup of Trey, DeJounte, and somebody else. And until then, I think they're in this really interesting middle group of teams in the East. You know, you've got Milwaukee and Boston, like you said, I think are clearly better than everybody else. And then there's some combination of Cleveland, Miami, uh, Philadelphia, Toronto, Atlanta. Those five teams, I think you could sort of put in a hat and they could come out in any order from three to seven. 
And that I think is going to be really interesting to watch over the course of the year. Cause all those teams think they can host a playoff round and win a series. And obviously they're not all going to do that. And you know, one of them is going to be in the playing tournament and the East, like I said, at the top, the East has just not had that kind of depth in a really long time. And uh, it's, it's going to be really, I'm re- I don't have a good sense at all. Like to your point, I can't tell you which of those teams is going to finish third and which is going to finish seventh. Like I really don't have any feel for that yeah. at all. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I watched the Hawks and by the eye test, I'm very confident in their offense. Again, they were number two last year being very good by the eye test. Young and Murray, yeah, there's going to be some hiccups, like split and ball handling duties. What's yeah. Murray going to do off the ball? Is Trey going to move it all off the ball, or is he just going to do his thing where he stands there half court or stands in the corners when he moves? Right. As I said, it's really good. But the numbers, so, so, but by the eye test, I'm like, they're fitting pretty well, all things considered. Like, I don't think, it, yeah. I, I didn't buy that it was going to be some complex fit for them. No. I thought it was going to be a little more complex than Garland Mitchell in Cleveland because of the, the shooting that both of them bring, and that has been obviously beyond expectations Incredible. yep and then the the shot selection is just a little bit of a red flag for me 29th and threes and 21st at the rim it's hard just, to sustain put... it's hard to sustain a high level offense with that phoenix has done it the last couple of years Each, everything else has to be just perfect for you to do that i'd yep. like to see that that's coaching that's personnel that's focus that's all of it together i think that stuff has to come up a little bit for them to be a real threat to make serious noise in the East, but I'll give that time. And can we finish with the team that you didn't mention among all your Eastern conference teams, Tim Bontemps, how dare you? It's fine. I, I had them at, at best ninth in the East before the start of the season <laughs> two. The six and six Chicago bulls who are yes. five and three with Zach Levine in the lineup, which would make them one and three without him in the lineup. <laughs> That's correct. Um, good, math. good math. Good math by me. <laughs> and you want to talk about a confusing team. These guys have, are a confusing team. I have absolutely zero idea what they are. Just just none. So they're 20th in offense. Okay, sure. Fine. I guess that makes sense. They've missed Levine a lot. Alex Caruso is shooting like 0%. And, right. you know, I would assume new is some sometimes effective, sometimes not. Pat Williams sometimes decides to participate in the offense and sometimes does nothing. That's fine. Sounds right. Fifth, 20th, rather fun. Fifth in defense. Oh, 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 what? what? Fifth? That doesn't seem, this team starts DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic and Zach Levine are fifth. That seems, seems a little weird. Okay, it's fine. Let's dig a little further. Let's see how the Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic trio was, you know, is so far this year. They were, they were outscored last year rather famously by a single digit amount, but still like if you're three best players that you traded that's a lot right. of draft picks to get or, or Jimmy Butler are outscored, that's probably bad. They must right. be doing better this year for the bulls to be hovering, floating, surviving. I feel like you're building towards a point, Zach minus 37 in 161 minutes. Oh, that's Jeez. not great. What? And they're six and six Alex Caruso and Goran Dragic. Despite the fact that Alex Crusoe cannot make a shot, Goran Dragic can make all the shots, apparently. In 143 minutes with those two on the floor, the Bulls are plus 66 a point yeah, that, every every two minutes. Yeah, it doesn't feel sustainable. To Their me. <laughs> whole bench, everyone on the bench, Javante Green is coming in and making everything. We'll play Derek Jones Jr. at backup center. Come on yeah. in. We don't Lonzo Ball. We don't need Lonzo Ball. The Crusoe Dragic 
duo Caruso will force enough turnovers for, for our whole team by himself. I don't understand any of this. I don't understand any of it. I don't know what to expect. I know that if you told me the Levine would miss four games, Vucevic would be just good. I think he's been good this year. He's up to 38% from three. He's getting some offensive rebounds. He's getting to the line a little bit more by his paltry standards. DeRozan, a metronome, not scoring as many points, but 53% on long twos, like clockwork, like clockwork. If you told me those three were going to get outscored that badly and the Bulls would be six and six after 12 games, okay, that's impressive. Something interesting must be happening. Something interesting is happening. I just have no idea what it is or if it's a thing at all. Well, it feels like, I mean, look, I, I think we could say what's what's not confusing to me is that Goron Alex Caruso combo, that is not a sustainable way for this to go, right? That that combo, it's hard to imagine, is going to be outscoring teams by a point every two minutes for the rest of the season. And as you said, last year we already have a pretty decent sample size of the Levine, DeMar, Vooch trio not playing very well together. And that's happening again. That seems to be a little more consistent to me. But I think the story of the Bulls to me goes back to a guy. Please tell me because I don't know what it is. I'm going to hype up your work here. Before the year, you wrote your five most interesting players in the league column. One of the players was Pat Williams. Patrick Williams. The Bulls' chance at being a upwardly mobile team in the East was on Patrick Williams taking a leap. Right? So far this season, when he is on the court, the Bulls in 296 minutes are being outscored by seven points per 100 possessions. When he's on the bench for our 280 minutes, basically half the time, they're outscoring teams by 11 and a half points per 100 possessions. In other words, I'm a moron. Is that? No, the no, 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 no. The point was, I agreed with you that he was an interesting player because he Patrick Williams is the swing piece for the Bulls. And I, I saw a couple scouts. I was at the Sixers Suns game on Monday night. I saw a couple scouts who were in attendance in Toronto for the rap, the first Raptors Bulls game that Toronto won. And they both said Javante Green should be starting. And if Javante Green is, you know, Javante, when they, when Javante Green's been on the court this year, the Bulls are outscoring opponents by eight and a half points per hundred possessions. Like, that that's been a huge swing part of why the bench units have been better and the starting lineups has been bad. And, you know, if, if Javante green is going to clearly outplay Patrick Williams and he should be playing more minutes than him and starting over him, that's a long-term problem for the bulls. Cause like you pointed out before the season, they need him to be good. He, they drafted him fourth. He's the one young, you know, obviously I would assume was good. Dallin Terry's interesting. The guy they drafted this year, but like, you draft a guy in the top five, you're looking at him as a guy who's going to be a building block for you going forward. And, you know, not too dissimilar than what's going on in Golden State with guys like Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman. Like, you need him to be productive when he's on the court for you at this point. And if he's going to struggle like this and they're going to struggle with him out there, that opens up a lot of questions about where the Bulls are headed. And, you know, to me, that's sort of the biggest thing to watch is like, what is his evolution going forward? Because so far it has not been where they would have wanted it to be at all. Remember when Russell Westbrook said that Patrick Beverly was just tricking everybody? It's just tricking you all <laughs> by running around doing stuff on defense. Okay. Yeah. And he had any, he, he, there was so I, sub- I want to know where this is going. This is a, this is a wild turn from what we were just talking about. <laughs> Look, 
The Bulls there, are really confusing. There <laughs> was some about the Lakers. There was some substance to that because Patrick Williams does run around and foul the crap out of everybody and put his team in the bonus. He's also Patrick, a good defensive Patrick, player. Patrick Beverly, you mean? You said yeah. Patrick Williams. Patrick right. Beverly. I don't know what the hell I said. <laughs> Patrick Williams must be tricking me because I, I cannot. I just can't quit him at all. He can have an entire game where he just hot potatoes the ball away every time he touches it, wants no part of the offense. And just because of his physical stature and sometimes real and sometimes theoretical shooting touch, he's down to 34% from three this year. I think he's going to become a good spot-up three-point shooter. And, and the potential he shows when he's locked in defensively against some of the best guys in the league, I just can't give up on him. I can't quit him. He must be tricking me. And Wait. I will I will endlessly remind people, A, here are like the next seven picks after him in the draft. Isaac Okoro, Okongwu, yeah. Killian Hayes, who cannot make a basket, Obi Toppin, Denny Avdia, Jalen Smith, and then you get to Devin Vassell and Tyrese Halliburton, and it hurts a lot. But those yeah, I next, was gonna say, yes, those next, there. <laughs> those next few, it's not like the it's not like you can look at that pick and be like, well, the Bulls just obviously whiffed. There was someone they should have like someone who was in play there that they should have definitely taken. Okay, some people were lobbying for Halliburton to be taking that high. That was a real thing that was happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Patrick Williams, I I wrote it in this piece. He's younger. Then I think eight or nine of the guys who were picked in the first round of the draft that just happened. Like it yep. just, it's, if it's not immediate, if it's not happening by now in his third year, that doesn't mean the Patrick Williams leap is not going to happen. He's that young still. You know who he reminds me of is Marvin Williams. Just as long as you don't say Kawhi Leonard, I will accept no, any answer it's because not, it's not, we need to put that one to bed. That's definitely put to bed. I think he's Marvin Williams who like for a long time, was a very solid rotation forward, could play the three and the four, decent defender, became a pretty good shooter, right? Like that, he looked the part, right? It was another very high pick, very young, raw, toolsy forward, became a very solid long-term pro, but wasn't a star, wasn't close to a star, was just fine. And it's early. Like, look, I certainly didn't see Lowry Marketing becoming whatever he's become this year. I, like, I said, I said it last week or when I had, we talked about Utah. I, I can't, I sold my Lowry marketing stock. I gave up on him and <laughs> well, I, I just didn't think he was very good. And he's, I look, he's made me look foolish this year. He's been great as I have so many a, other people he, with the Jazz. He's a veteran of the five most intriguing players column. That was, that looked like it's like three years ago. I think he was in that column. He and Wendell Carter jr. Were in it together. And both of them are now developing elsewhere outside of Chicago. Yeah, I mean, look, so uh, again, like it, there's there's time doesn't mean, like you said, his career isn't over. But if you're the Bulls coming into this year, I thought, like I said, you I thought you nailed it with him being on that list because he's the kind of guy that had the chance to really be a swing piece. And if he's just this where Javante Green probably should just be starting over him and playing more than him. That's just not a great sign for a Bulls team. that's already got Lonzo Ball on the shelf with, you know, still doesn't, you know, Billy Donovan said the other day he's not running yet. It does not seem like he's coming back anytime soon. Zach Levine is already missing games with some kind of issue with his knee from the surgery in the offseason. You know, Nick Vucevic is an expiring contract. Amar is in his mid-30s. Like, there's not – they're just kind of stuck unless he really takes a step. And all the other stuff that's going on around them, that's really the one story that matters. And, you know, if I'm a Bulls fan right now, I'm looking at it and thinking, yeesh. 
you know, this is not what I'm hoping to see from this guy. Not yet. The last, the last week he's shown signs of life. His first five or six games of the season. He had a good game. He had a good game here in Brooklyn. That was probably the best I've seen him play. Like he, he's, he's had some flashes. He, the first five or six games of the season, it was like, Oh, oh my God, is he going to do, is he going to do anything? Is he going to just exist out on the court and count as you're like, you were required to have five players on the floor. He's going to be our, (laughs) our fifth guy. Um, It's just, I, I just, they're just a confounding team. Again, they're five and three with Levine and he hasn't been the same guy. 22, four and four on 43% shooting 44% from three and less than 45% a little bit from two. And that's the, uh Oh, that's the, right. Oh, he's shooting 45% at the rim. Zach Levine is yeah, shooting 45% at the rim. You got to think that's going to improve. Well, you're either. So there are two ways to read that. Number one is the knee is the knee is troubling him and he can't elevate like he's like he's used to. And there's been a lot which of, he's, blown, which he's basically tires. said is true. Yeah. Right. And, and that'll improve. And so this is for them to be six and six with that is, is positive or is, is it going to be like that the whole season? And if so, we're, we're in trouble. Right. I just in the, think in the first year of a 200 plus million dollar five year contract. Let's yeah, that's true. I just, I I'm kind of, again, baffled, but also confused. I'm baffled, but also confused, baffled, but also, <laughs> in, but also impressed. They are confusing, but, but, but I'm also impressed that they're treading water with all of this sort of injuries and noise and weirdness. There's a certain toughness about them that, that I kind of like there. A lot of their players like Caruso, there should be an all-star event where players try to execute a dribble handoff when Caruso is guarding the guy taking the ball, because he will blow that thing up eight times out of 10. They have a lot of, they have a lot of tough, scrappy guys. Yeah. Javante has been awesome. Derek yeah. Jones Jr. gets out there and mucks things up. Like they just, and they play, even their guys who are not defensive players, DeRozan, Vucevic, Levine, they play with a certain swagger and confidence. Even Vucevic will just keep on tossing up threes when he's slumping. They just kind of have gutted out uh, six wins so far out of 12 games. I, I'm kind of impressed. Drag- Dragic is another guy with swagger. Like Dr- Goran Dragic is like, y'all. He plays like he's still squarely in his prime. Every yeah. Toronto, do you Toronto? The Toronto versus Goran Dragic rivalry is like the the new most fun random rivalry. Toronto fans boo him, hate him. It it fuels him. There's the, they don't even know why they don't really like each other except he didn't play there and it was weird. And blah blah. Um, he he plays like he's still with the confidence of prime. Goran Dragic, who was the proverbial whirling dervish, whatever the hell that is, when he was in his prime, they're, right. they're just kind of, they're, and and I think Billy Donovan teams have always been like this. They're just tough and purposeful in how they play, and it's made me wonder, like, are they banking some of these wins, and if they get a little healthier and things start to click together, are these wins going to look important in retrospect, or? Are they just sort of lucking their way into more wins than they should, and they're going to fade away? I don't know the answer, but I'm imp- I'm weirdly impressed that they're six and six. Yeah, I mean, look, they've they, especially with Zach being in and out and no Lonzo, like they've gotten off to a decent start. They're they're treading water, which is good. But I I think the bigger thing is just where is this team going? Right, like they trade Jimmy Butler to rebuild, they rebuild, and now like they're. To, I mean, I think we both agree they're not in the top seven teams in the East. They're pretty clearly not in the top seven teams in the East. 
So they're down in the the mix with teams like whatever. But, the, but, the that, hell. but, that, but that's what I thought. Like I had them. I said it. I wrote in my tears piece. It's hard right. to argue that they're better than any of the eight teams listed above them in that piece. Well, Correct. two of those teams were Miami, who they're above in the standings. And Miami, frankly, has done nothing this season to suggest to you that they're just a sleeping giant waiting to explode. Now, I think they're better than this, but they haven't inspired a ton of confidence. And Brooklyn, who well, we don't yeah. even need to say anything no. further about no. Brooklyn. So maybe Chicago, by default, the two sweetest words in the English language will be a top seven team. I, I you know, I don't know. It's like, but there are other teams below them. My, the, Knicks, the Knicks are competing, you know. Yeah. Year, I don't my know point is, going on. my point is they're not. They're clearly not a team that we look at, at least I'd look at, and think is going to win a playoff series anytime soon. And their core guys are all either in their late prime or in their prime, right? Zach, Damar, Vooch. Vooch is a free agent. Damar's in his early to mid-30s. Zach is in his prime. Obviously, has this knee issue to worry about. And I just, I just don't really know what the... Like, are they just going to sort of settle in and be like what Washington has been? Like, is that Ooh. sort of what they're destined to be? Ooh. I just don't well, know look, if they're... You, you and I have been united in that since they made the Vucevic and DeRozan transactions. You know, I immediately right. said, would I would, if you asked me, will they ever win more than one playoff series in any season while DeRozan and Vucevic are still here? I would say no. And you doubled, you tripled down and said, how about if would they ever win one period? I might say no. I think we're all united in that. The, the long-term stuff has settled in. I think that's just sort of, I think even their hardcore fans would accept that that's probably largely true, but can we enjoy it? Can we make maybe one longer than expected run while this, while this core is still sort of in their prime and DeRozan just seems like one of those guys who's going to be so good. He's just, it feels like he's just going to be like 42 years old and, and be like, yo, you don't think I can get buckets anymore? Let me show you young kids how we used to do it when this when this whole area of the court that you don't even set foot on used to be my prime scoring turn. He just feels like he's going to get yeah. buckets. And for, the way he's for, developed as a playmaker has been awesome, too. Like, he, he's become a really, really good passer. Uh, he He's just super fun to watch. I mean, and look, their, their bench unit has been fun. You mentioned Billy Donovan has done a great job, like, maximizing what they have. I mean, they're, it like you said, I just, they're confusing to me because I'm not, I'm just not sure what the, the point is kind of a strong word, but I just, it's hard to know exactly where they're headed. That's well, I get, I get, me. yeah, we all, I, we get, we are in alignment there. I, I'm, I'm kind of saying maybe there'll be a little, uh, this six and six start is maybe considered like maybe there's a little sort of more gumption and toughness there. And maybe this experience along the way will be a little more fun. By the way, you know, my favorite DeMar DeRozan thing is more than the pump fake, more than the mid range shots. No one in the NBA is as committed to a bit of comedy as DeMar DeRozan, and most people don't notice it, as DeMar DeRozan is, too, when he shoots the technical free throw and there's no teammates on the lanes, he oh, will give dapping? invisible yeah. teammates the high fives <laughs> every single time, just high five in thin air. He is and stone-faced. He's not yeah. laughing. He just, this is what happens when you shoot free throws. You give people high fives. There's nobody here. I'm going to get the high fives. I love it. All right, Tim yeah. Bontemps, what are you working on next? Where are you going to be next? What should we be looking out for you? Uh, wrote about the Warriors bench for the Windhorse Tube Collective column today. Uh, it's not. It's not going well. Is that the theme of the column? It's going badly. It's not. It's not going well. And do they have to think about making trades at some point? Uh, um, wrote about that Tube Collective pod every Friday with uh, our pal Bam McMahon and Brian, and uh, just bouncing around to Eastern Conference games, 
just about every day. It's very fun right now to be in the East. There's a lot going on. Will I, I see you? Will there's I a lot of fun you? games going on, and then there's other stuff also going on. I should say. Will I see you at what I used to playfully many years ago, ten years ago, refer to as the toilet bowl tomorrow between the Knicks and the Nets? Yes, I will be at Knicks Nets. Believe it or not, there's there's nothing going on. You know what's crazy? Before we go, it is amazing that you and I have both been in and around New York a long time. I'm finally back full time in the city. The Knicks being the boring, competent, functional. NBA team in New York City is has been an interesting development. I'll just leave it at that. You know what else is an interesting development, Knicks fans? Little little teaser for the Knicks fans. All Ooh. of us, you and me all together, who have been screaming for Tom Thibodeau to dude, can you just try it? Try the Obi Top and Julius Randall front court. Just I know you need a rim protector. I know this is outdated. I know like Todd Gibson's like sitting there on the benches, your security blanket. He's in Washington now, obviously. I know you got Jericho Sims and Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenshaw. Just try it. And you know what? They tried it. The last two games with Mitchell Robinson hurt, they tried it. They rallied behind it to win one game from with a furious fourth quarter comeback. I can't even remember who it was against. They against Philadelphia on Friday. It was at both games. They played it again last night. Knicks fans. Maybe three games in a row, Philadelphia, Boston, and Minnesota. Yeah, they got smoked by Boston. Maybe it'll last. Maybe it'll last. Tim Bontemps, I'll see you at the toilet bowl tomorrow. Sounds good. Thanks, Ben.